everyone. I'm Maike Slot, and you're listening to Do We Click, a monthly research podcast on the digital relationship between journalists and their audiences. Do We Click is supported by the Dutch Journalism Fund and the Erasmus Research Center for Media, Communication and Culture of the Erasmus University Rotterdam. This is episode 10, the first episode in which I focus on the audience perspective. Starting with a summary of what the audience is, we'll dive deeper into academic research in this area and find out what we can learn from these studies. The President of the European Council, Donald Tusk, says EU leaders have agreed to the UK's request to an extension to the time it has to leave the European Union. Britain was due to leave in three days' time, October the 31st, but UK MPs did force this the Prime Minister Boris Johnson's This is already the first opposition in British history that has not wanted a general election. But the President of the European Commission, Jean-Claude Juncker, has said it was a fair and balanced agreement for the EU and the UK. Brexit, Brexit, Brexit is all we hear in the news nowadays. Aren't you tired of it? The Digital News Report 2019 by Reuters Institute shows that in the UK around 35% of people avoid the news because it's too negative. And Brexit plays a big part in this experienced negativity. The political debate makes people moody and evokes a feeling of powerlessness. The British broadcaster Sky News takes these feelings seriously and supplies their audiences with a Brexit break. Based on Brexit fatigue, Sky News launched a pop-up TV channel that broadcasts guaranteed Brexit-free news from Monday to Friday from 5 to 10 p.m. The audience can still watch the news, but will not be bothered by news that is not to their liking. In a response, a Dutch radio channel produced an item of what their radio would sound like if they would follow the taste of the audience. By asking people what they were tired of in the news, they compiled a list with what actually could be discussed. After getting rid of war, politics, entertainment and the weather, all they were left with was a short message about the stock market. Engaging the audience and establishing a relationship with them is an important topic in news organizations all around the globe. The Netherlands is no exception to that. During the first part of Do We Click, I saw that many news organizations I visited were trying to understand their audiences better, either by doing research, brainstorming, or by exploring audience engagement projects. It seems obvious. Reaching out to the audience, informing them, but also involving them is crucial to build trust, loyalty, and engagement. In general, journalists are willing to give the audience an active role. But I also experience that Dutch news organizations are cautious when it comes to following the popular taste of the audience. Journalistic independence and a sense of what the audience needs to know remain important. Instead of simply following clicks, something that none of the organizations that I visited do, by the way, 
or asking random people on the street, it's important that news organizations come to terms with the various parts of their audience. And academic research might be able to help. The second part of my research takes this audience perspective. It will explore the way that audience members perceive their relationship with the news and journalists and how they envision their own role in the news production process. News users have been the subject of many academic studies. To start this first episode on the audience perspective, I think it's insightful to share some of these existing results with you. From a research perspective, it makes sense to first sketch the field as you work in and to make sure you build upon what has been done before. From a more professional perspective, we can learn a lot from research, but we do need to think about what these research results mean in a more practical way. I will focus here on studies that really take an audience perspective and how they are active with the news, be it as consumers, commenters or creators of news. Let's go briefly back to episode 4, where I already analyzed what the audience in news production actually is. The audience are the people who are active recipients of news products. They're the people paying attention, reading, watching, listening and engaging in other content-related activities. Audience members cannot be piled up in one heap because they have certain characteristics, motivations, behaviors and ideas and live in a specific context that also defines, in a sense, their news needs. There are many studies that say something about the consumption activities of news users. Maybe you remember the small-scale news consumption research that I conducted for episode 6 among my first-year students. It showed, for example, that traditional channels were not playing a role in their news consumption, but that they did feel that following the news was important for them. They wanted to stay up to date and be able to discuss with their friends about things happening in the world. More large-scale studies obviously provide a more international and diverse outlook on news consumers. I think a very good example is the Reuters Institute Digital News Report. In 2019, the main findings in this report indicate that news users around the world are still hesitant to pay for online news, that in non-Western countries, WhatsApp has become an important medium for discussing the news, that on average 42% of the population trust the news, that the smartphone is a very important technology for accessing the news and podcasts have become increasingly popular. Many articles that are published in academic journals covering the news sector, in journals such as journalism or digital journalism, they have a more national focus. The studies presented in these journals are often more small-scale and therefore somewhat harder to compare. Nonetheless, they cover a broad range of user practices in journalism. In June 2018, for example, Lia Pascalia Spiridou, working at the Cyprus University of Technology, published an article in journalism about the forms and modus of participation. She establishes that many researchers show that people mainly choose for the participatory activities that do not require a lot of effort, such as liking or sharing on social media. We also notice from other online participatory platforms, such as Wikipedia. When you analyze user activity, there's always a tiny group that contributes the most, a small group that contributes sometimes, but the vast majority of people are lurkers. They are the audience for the activities, but will never really contribute themselves. It's not without reason 
that Facebook introduced the like button. Technologically, a very easy way to make consumption visible. It does not require a lot of effort, but it shows what people have seen, and it also educates content creators by showing what likable content is, something very valuable for the revenue of social media platforms. According to Spiridu, participation needs to be studied in more depth. To start, she defines three important characteristics of participation. The first is that participation is explicit. It requires an active involvement of users. Second, technology plays an important part. Different tools allow for different forms of user participation. And third, for people to actually use these tools, they need to be motivated in some way or another and also put in some form of creative effort. When you've outlined the participatory activities, based on these characteristics, you can also determine how activating they are. Ask yourself three questions. One, how much is the user actually enabled to make changes to the news content? Two, how much work is needed for this? And three, where in the editorial process is the user engaged? A poll, for example, can be classified as a very low participatory activity. When you participate in a poll about whether you are for or against a new Brexit proposal, you're not allowed to make any substantial changes to the content. It requires a minimum form of effort and you're engaged after the news story is released. Sending in an opinion article to a newspaper about a possible scenario after Brexit is a form of high participation. Spiridu researched the participation of people and their motivations for doing so by sending a questionnaire to users from a Greek mainstream news website. And she found the following important results. Overall, she concludes that most users do not make use of the participatory features offered to them. People are reluctant to participate, even when they're interested in certain news items. People who say they're more likely to participate, for example in commenting, are motivated by the need to inform others or because they feel they need to react to things that are being said in an article. They want to persuade others or mobilize them to think differently about something. An additional finding was that people were more reluctant to comment when they have to provide their identity. According to Spiridu, users don't want to participate in ways that require a lot of effort because they're afraid that editors will not take them seriously or they're afraid to explicitly speak about sensitive or controversial topics. Very low-level forms of participation, such as filling in a poll, can often be explained with an entertainment motivation. People think it's fun, easy, and they engage with this form of participation more often. All in all, Spiridu concludes that many audience members are often lazy, fearful, and reactive. Honestly, I find this characterization quite negative, and I'm not sure if it does justice to the real considerations behind audience activity and their level of engagement. But it's clear that when you're looking for participation as a form of engagement, you need to clearly manage your expectations as a news organization. When you expect a lot from audience interaction, the reality might come as a disappointment. So the advice here is to be smart about it. If you want your audience members to participate, Try to imagine in what stage of news production you want them to be involved, how much effort it will take them, and also in what ways they will be allowed to actually change the news content. 
If you want as much participation as possible, but do not really want to use the input from the audience, maybe a poll is a good idea. If you want more high-quality participation, participation that will help you improve your journalism, you need to be aware that this will require more effort and that you will reach only a very small part of the audience. But maybe that's enough for you. We know that many news organizations struggle with user comments on their website. It's not easy to make that work. But there are quite successful examples of organizations asking their users to send in pictures or to involve them in live Q&A sessions. With technology developing, we can also try to improve these types of interaction in the future. Now, we've seen that many news organizations use user data to make assumptions about the audience, their preferences and their motivations. We've established that only looking at clicks does not make any sense. This is why many news organizations look at reading minutes or alternative proxies instead. But what if you make a connection between the clicking and commenting behavior of the audience? In 2015, Ori Tenenboim and Akiba Cohen researched the behavior of Israeli news consumers in clicking and commenting on news websites. Both clicking on news articles and writing comments are seen as forms of participating. The researchers were interested to see what types of content were clicked and commented on the most, and more importantly, whether the most clicked on articles also received the most comments. This turned out not to be the case. The authors show a more nuanced picture. Different types of content generate different responses of audience members. Political and social topics and controversies evoke more comments from the audience. I assume this is recognizable for journalists who have comment options on their website. Tenenboim and Cohen argue that these types of content have a role of constructing a social or group identity. Sensational topics and news items that spark curiosity are the news items that are clicked on more, but not necessarily commented on. You might wonder what elements in a news message spark more curiosity than others. The authors name five. Surprise, death, violence, sex, or a prominent figure. I'm pretty sure you can come up with a great clickbait headline based on these five characteristics. And I'm also quite sure that also outside of Israel, these elements are reasons for people to click on news messages. The authors state that these types of most clicked on news items are connected to self-experience of news. People like to compare their own identity to what they see on the news, their ideas about how you should behave, what is acceptable, the limits of our human competences. News stories might teach us lessons about life. Think about that for a minute. Now, this is a finding we can put in a broader perspective. In episode 8, I discussed the research of Tim Grootkormelink and Irene Kostera-Meyer into clicking behavior. While I focused for that episode on the reasons not to click on something, they also uncovered reasons for people to click on them. They teach us that people can have many motivations to click on certain news items. Some important motivations are, for example, personal relevance, the placement of an article on a website, the more prominent, the better it will be clicked on, but also geographical and cultural proximity and unexpectedness. This last characteristic can, of course, be linked to the surprise element in the research of Tenenboim and Cohen. What you can take away here is that audience members will have different motivations for different types of behavior. 
So you need to make conscious choices which types of interaction you want with your audience. These are just a handful of examples that provide us with interesting insights where we want to get a better grip on what the news audience is, how they behave, and what motivates them. What strikes me when we think about the audience perspective in the journalist-audience relationship is that there is not a lot of research about the thinking part of the relationship. As I explained when my research project started, a relationship is not only about the behavior of people. Actions are evident, of course, and easier to study. But it's also about what people think about each other. Their assumptions, maybe, or their expectations. There's not a lot of attention about this part of the relationship. I did find an article in the Journal of Computer-Mediated Communication from 2015 in which Jay and Lee reports about an experiment that tried to uncover to what extent journalists' social media activities influence the perception the audience has of them. The experiment was conducted among students of a university in the United States. Keep that in mind because these students are, as you might expect, not representative of the average news consumer. The experiment showed participants' fictional social media posts by a reporter with very personal comments about certain news topics. Social media proved to be a double-edged sword here. The results showed that social media posts did influence perceptions of the audience about the journalists, primarily in the personal dimension. Commenting on social media made journalists seem more human and also more likable. But when journalists are actively discussing about trivial things with other people on social media, the audience also perceived them to be less professional. The author of the article warns news organizations that they should be aware of these downsides of social media use. But I must say, I have not yet met a journalist who is behaving unprofessionally on social media. I think that both of them are pretty well aware of what they can and can't post. They are, for example, usually quite hesitant to engage in critical discussions with people who criticize their work. I'll continue to study this journalist-audience relationship from an audience perspective in the months to come, and will let you know if I've found anything interesting. We need to uncover in more detail what people think about the importance of journalism, how they perceive journalists, and how they would like to see their relationship with them. In sum, a lot of questions about the audience still remain unanswered, and I have my work cut out for me. To close this podcast... I'm sure you've noticed that my podcast is academic in tone of voice, although I do try to connect concepts and theories to more practical advice. If you're looking for a more hands-on approach, in addition to this podcast, I can recommend a project that Sophie van Oostvoorn, one of the members of my advisory board, is working on. She publishes a weekly newsletter, The New Laser, The New Reader, in which she gives practical advice to news organizations to increase their audience involvement and be better prepared for the future. She uses research reports and innovative projects that are carried out by international news organizations, and based on all these things, she formulates lessons learned. The newsletter is in Dutch, but many links she provides to projects and websites are in English. You should check it out. The coming months, I have some interesting things in store for you. I'm inviting some guests to share their own research on the audience with you. Podcast number 12, for example, will feature Micah Olai, author of a book on audience motivations. And on the 4th of December, we're planning to record a live podcast from the Media of Tomorrow conference in Amsterdam. I've never done that before, 
So it will be exciting. I will keep you updated. That was it for now. Next time, I'll tell you more. Will you click again? Dewey Click is supported by the Dutch Journalism Fund and the Erasmus Research Center for Media, Communication and Culture of the Erasmus University Rotterdam.